Well, at this time, we'd like to invite kids who are headed back to Children's Church. You can feel free to head back there now. At this time of service, we usually dismiss the kids who are ages 3 to 5, 3 to kindergarten age. If you want to, if you're a kid in that range, you feel free to head back. If your parents want you to stay, you can stay here too. The choice is yours. Those three to five-year-olds will head back for Children's Church. And the rest of us can turn to the book of Luke, chapter 24. It's where we'll be this morning, in Luke, chapter 24, towards the end of Luke, towards the beginning of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right before John. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We'll have the words on the screen for you. We're going to focus on verses 44 through 49, but I'm going to start reading in verse 36 just for some context. I know Russ just seated you, but if you like, while I read, you can stand with me. If you want, you can sit down. If you'd like to stand, feel free. Stretch your legs. I was about to say you're going to need it, but that would be ominous. Yeah. Luke twenty four thirty six. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Amen. You may be seated. Well, Father, we thank you for these words of resurrection life. We pray that would be our joy this morning, that would be our message, that would be our cause for worship and praise, that Jesus is risen. May you be honored here among us this morning. Amen. So if you had to guess, what would you guess was the biggest concert of all time and which musician was the concert for? Who was the musician, the artist, who had the biggest concert attendance of all time in one show? The answer might surprise you. You might guess maybe Michael Jackson, maybe the Beatles, 
Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, or if you're younger, maybe Taylor Swift. The answer, actually, of all people, is Rod Stewart. On New Year's Eve of 1994, Rod Stewart played in Rio de Janeiro to a crowd estimated about three and a half to four million people. It's a huge crowd. Uh, For a reference, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, their parade in 2016 was around five million people. Large, large gatherings. And for Christians, the biggest gathering is always Easter. Not just here in our church, but around the world, all those Christians who celebrate the resurrection of the Lord on Easter Sunday, that is the biggest crowd, the biggest gathering. Why is that? Why does Easter center the church calendar? Why is it kind of the most important day for us, the the happiest day for us? You might come on another time and we'll be in variable moods, but on Easter morning we are happy, right? We are joyful. Why is Easter so important? Or to put it another way, why is the resurrection essential? That's the question I want to ask and answer, and I think Jesus answers in Luke 24 this morning. Why is the resurrection essential? Jesus answers this question as he appears to his disciples, so that's what's going on here in Luke 24. His disciples had watched him die. Jesus had been buried on Friday in the tomb, sealed, quiet on Saturday. But on Sunday, he is risen from the grave. Then he appears, as we saw, bodily to his disciples. He's flesh and blood, not just spirit. He eats with them. He shows them, I am alive. I'm not just a vision, not just a dream. I am here, flesh and blood, with you. And then Jesus teaches them. And he teaches them, I think, about the essentiality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is the resurrection essential? I want to give you three reasons this morning. First, the resurrection is essential because it is God's plan. It is God's plan. God has ordained it. God has written that it must be so, so the resurrection is essential. It must happen because God said it. And that's what Jesus says in verse 44 and 45. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me And the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus, appearing to his disciples after his resurrection, says, Hey, remember what I said to you before my death. While I was still with you, while I taught you, what did I tell you about? And this may be irreverent, but I'm reminded of an athlete calling his shot. Babe Ruth, 1932 World Series, points and hits a home run, right? Calls his shot. There's debate about whether or not he actually did. I'm just going to go for the story that he did. (laughs) I'm a hockey fan, and I remember the 1994 Stanley Cup playoff run. Mark Messier, the New York Rangers, they were down against New Jersey Devils, and it was a do-or-die game, and Mark Messier, the captain of the New York Rangers, said, I guarantee we will win this game. And then went out and scored a hat trick, three goals, to secure the victory. He called it, right? Jesus did the same thing. His death and resurrection was not a surprise to him. In fact, he told his disciples about it multiple times. After he fed multitudes of people, Jesus predicted his death to his disciples. Peter actually rebuked him, saying, no, 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 that can't happen. After his transfiguration, where 
Jesus revealed to his disciples he is God and he appeared in glory, he then predicted his own death and resurrection. Heading up to Jerusalem for the Passover, he predicted his death. If you read the Gospel of John all over, Jesus mentions that he's going to die. He, he says at one point, destroy this temple, referring to his body, and I will rebuild it in three days. Over and over, he told his disciples, this must happen, but his disciples did not understand. They had trouble understanding. How did Jesus know it? How did Jesus know that he was going to die and rise again? Well, because the scripture said it. Jesus says, this was written all over the Old Testament. In law, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's a way of saying all of the Old Testament. The Hebrew people broke down their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, into three categories, three sections. The law, the books of Moses, the prophets, the prophetic books, and then the writings, or the Psalms, the wisdom literature. That was kind of a way of summarizing all of the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, this is written about, the law and prophets and the Psalms, everything about me, what he's saying is, all the Old Testament's about me. All of Scripture is pointing towards me, and all of Scripture teaches the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't know what passages he went to, what stories he went to. If there's a Bible study that I could attend, I'd like to go to that Bible study where Jesus himself walks through the Old Testament and shows, here's where it's talking about me. Maybe he went to Jonah. The story of Jonah being buried in the sea for three days and then rising again. Maybe Jesus quoted Psalm 16.10, which says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. This is understood to be a, a verse of resurrection life. You won't abandon my soul to the place of the dead. You won't let your Holy One see corruption. There will be life. Maybe Jesus quoted Isaiah 53.10-11, which says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Speaking of the death of God's servant, and then it says, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Talking about the life, the resurrection life of God's Messiah. I don't know where Jesus went, but he understood and he taught his disciples that all the Old Testament is talking about, is leading to my life-saving death and resurrection. And then he opens their minds to understand the scriptures, which means this. You cannot understand the Bible unless you know Jesus Christ and understand his death and resurrection. The Bible's a hard book. There are parts of it that are complicated or difficult, and it can be hard to wrap our heads around. But there are wrong ways we can approach it. If you try and approach the scriptures as a book of morals, it'll be very difficult because there will be some morals and commands and laws that don't make sense to you and don't make sense in our context. You say, how do I understand this? If you try and understand the scriptures as a book of children's stories or fables, some might apply, some might not. You're going to have a hard time understanding how this makes sense in today's world. If you try and read the Bible as just plain history, 
You're going to be challenged at times saying, how does this fit in with what I know of history? If you try and read the Bible as a book of science, you're going to say, well, this is woefully short on some details I would really like to understand. And the Bible teaches all those things, but ultimately what the Bible is about, what Scripture is all about, what God has written in the Old Testament, is this story, the story of redemption. It is the true story of how God saves the world through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. That is the center, that is the narrative of Scripture. And until you grasp that point, you won't understand Scripture. And Jesus is saying this here, now that you know, now that you see that I am the Messiah who has died and risen again, now you can understand what I've been telling you, what the Scripture has been teaching you. Now your minds can be unlocked, and I will promise you that if you can read your Bibles and you know who Jesus Christ is, the one who has died and risen again, you will start to understand Scripture and it will open up in a whole new way. And you'll see, this, uh, these are the words of life. They're the words of death and life for Jesus. And they tell us it was God's plan all along that this would happen, his death and resurrection. So we could ask, who was responsible for the death of Jesus? There's multiple ways you could answer that question. You could answer that question historically. Well, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, was responsible for the death of Jesus. Caiaphas and Annas, the chief priests and leaders, the people who chose Jesus to die over Barabbas, they were responsible for the death of Jesus. You could answer that question historically. You could also answer that question spiritually. Who is responsible for the death of Jesus? You are. I am. Because it was our sin that put him on the cross. You can also answer that question theologically. Who is responsible for the death of Jesus? God the Father. It was his plan, his will, to crush him and to raise him. He planned it all along. Octavius Winslow asks, who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jewish people for envy, but the Father for love. This was God's plan, that the Messiah would die and rise again. That's why the resurrection is essential, because God said it would be. The resurrection is also essential because it is Christ's mission. It was God's plan to ordain it, and it was Christ's mission to carry it out. It's Christ's mission to die and rise. Look at verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. There's a little phrase there that you might pass over. I think is really compelling. Jesus says, Thus it is written. I find that fascinating. Why? Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. What had his disciples experienced? What had they seen? They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus feed thousands with a little bit of bread and fish. They saw Jesus stop storms, control nature, cast out demons... They saw Jesus alive. They saw Jesus dead on a cross, buried. And now they had seen Jesus alive, right before them, eating with them. And then Jesus says, thus it is written. Jesus doesn't say, hey, all of your experiences, those are good, and that's all you need. 
Jesus doesn't say, hey, remember all that you experienced. Jesus says, no, turn back to scriptures. That's fascinating to me. Jesus grounds the disciples' faith and belief, not in their experience, which is an experience that none of us have had. They had an incredible experience, but Jesus still grounds their faith, their understanding, in the word of God, thus it is written. And what Jesus is saying is, as it was written, so it must be. And he is aligning their experience of what they'd seen in his resurrection with what was written by God. God planned it, and so I must carry it out, and so it has been carried out. These two things are coherent. They are aligned with one another. Uh, how many of you have seen good heist movies? So I'm thinking of like Ocean's Eleven, or The Italian Job, or um, Ant-Man is a heist movie. Inception is kind of a reverse heist movie. In every heist movie, there's a scene or scenes where the plan is laid out, right? That's essential to a heist movie. Here's the plan. Here's how it's all going to go down. And then what happens over the course of the heist is things go terribly wrong, and it looks like it's failed. And then at the end of the heist movie, you say, oh, this is how it was all going to work out, and we had already accounted for this. It was all part of the plan. And the people carrying out the heist are carrying out the mission that was ordained for them. So it is with Jesus. All of the Old Testament is that scene where the heist is planned, then you get to the cross and you go, oh no, it's all gone awry. And then the resurrection, see, he did it. He carried it out. Jesus carries out the mission that was planned for him, and his mission is to be the Messiah. His name is the Christ. And that's not a last name, that's not a title, or it's a title, not a last name. The title Christ meaning Messiah, Savior. And it was the plan that he would be the Savior. And what must the Savior do? Die and rise again. Death is essential to his mission. Why? Because death pays for sins. And his death paid for our sins. A holy God requires justice for all rebellion, all evil in this world. We would not want to live in a universe where there was no justice whatsoever, where evil went unaccounted for. We all want intrinsically, inherently, for sin to be paid for. Christ, in his death, paid for sin. Either people will pay for their sins or the Messiah will. It's his role in his death to pay and die. I recently heard a story about a man in a land across the world from us. And this man claimed to be Jesus himself. He said, I am Jesus Christ, I am the Messiah. And he went around teaching that and living as if he was Jesus the Messiah. And then his townspeople knew something about Jesus the Messiah and they said, well, it's Easter week and Friday is coming. So they planned to crucify him on Friday, at which point he reported the matter to the police and said his life was under threat the townspeople understood the mission of Jesus. Jesus must die. And they said, well, he's going to rise again. If you're Jesus, this is what must happen, right? This is essential. The mission isn't just to die, but the mission is also to rise. The resurrection is essential to the mission of Christ. Why? Because if there is no bodily, physical resurrection of Christ, then death and evil win 
And Jesus was a failure. There's no other hope for us. I don't know what all of you believe or what your faith backgrounds are. I think, no matter who we are, we can come to some understanding, some agreement on a couple of things. And a couple of those things being the universal problems that humanity faces. Two really big ones. Death and evil. The two big problems of humanity. We're all going to die and evil exists. So the question is, what do you do about that? And maybe you say, well, nothing can be done about that. And if that's your perspective, that's a valid perspective. It's just a very hopeless one. No hope for conquering death. No hope for evil to be eradicated. This is the way it is. You could have that perspective. But I don't know what the point of life is with that perspective. But if you think death and evil can be conquered, the next question is, how? And who's going to do it? How are we going to have immortality and perfection? Spoiler alert, you're not going to do it, and I'm not either. We have lived long enough, we now have a track record of our failure to live perfectly and our inability to achieve immortality. All of us in our lives, we can look back and say, well, perfection's out the window. That's not going to happen. If you could be perfect, you would have been. So you can't. And none of us, no medical miracle, is going to be able to ensure eternal life. So, our questions or problems leave unresolved unless there's one person who conquered evil and death. That's why we celebrate Easter. Because there's one person who did it. There's one person who lived flawlessly, lived perfectly, took on sin upon himself, and then died and rose again, conquering evil, conquering death. Jesus went into the grave, and when he went there, he left sin and death there. Evil and death stayed behind the stone. And when Jesus resurrected, he left all those things behind and he resurrected in perfection and glory and power and eternal life so that sin and death are conquered. We have an answer to the universal problems of humanity. You may not believe the answer, you may not like the answer, but we've got one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And this is his mission, the resurrection from death that saves People. And because that's his mission, because that's God's plan, it is now, church, our message. This is the message that we take out into the world, that Jesus Christ has died and risen again. It is our message, and that's exactly what Jesus tells to his disciples in verses 47 to 49. This is our message. We are witnesses to this. Verse 47, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now that 
Christ is alive, resurrected, and reigning. The disciples are to go out with a message. Jesus is alive, and you too can live in him. How do we live? By faith. Faith in the resurrected Christ. Belief, acknowledgement that he is Lord, that he has died, and he has risen. What does our faith look like? It looks like repentance. Repentance, turning away from sin, should be proclaimed. And that forgiveness for those who are repentant, forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. If you're a Christian here, if you've been part of the church for a long time, don't pass over the simple things in this passage. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do? What is the message that Jesus said, this should be your message, this is your story, this is what you tell the world? What is that message? And something significant happens, it has to be talked about. It'd be weird if you talk to your son or daughter, talk to them every week, and one day they call up and they say, oh, did you know I got married a few months ago? So, well, when were you planning on telling Well, now, I guess. There's some things that are important enough, they have to be talked about. I don't have to tell you what I had for dinner the other day. You're not interested, I can't remember. Probably a lot. But there are some things that are important enough they have to be talked about. And for my family coming into church today, we were talking about a couple things. We are talking about Jesus and the resurrection, and we are talking about the Mario movie we saw yesterday. Those are things are important enough they have to be talked about, right? Well, if somebody rose from the dead and said, I am Lord and I'm ruling and reigning on high and all the Old Testament's about me and forgiveness for sins is available to anybody and go out to all the nations, that kind of thing has to be talked about. And that's what his disciples are to go out and talk about. They're to be witnesses of these things to every person on the earth. And you may have heard that Christianity is like a Western religion, right? Do you hear that sometimes? Oh, Christianity, white man's religion, Western religion. Where did it start? Jerusalem. Where did it first go? Well, it went to Turkey, went to Syria, Greece, Rome, Africa. That's where it started. And then it went out to all nations. All tribes, all people, all backgrounds, all heritages. This is the message for Everybody and the disciples are to leave no stone unturned in their proclamation of that message. It is to transcend borders, to transcend tribes, transcend cultures, affiliations, labels, identities. No matter who you are, this message is for you. And this is the message, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That is the central message of the church. So I go back to the question, what's our message? Jesus gives it to us here. Don't miss it. This is the mission statement of the church. 
We have no other mandate, no other message for the world. This is it. Jesus Christ died and resurrected for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. So you may wonder, like, what is Christianity all about? And maybe you've heard something else. And maybe your experience or, or what you've been taught Christianity is all about, maybe it's a political movement. And maybe Christianity is about who you vote for. Or who are you politically aligned with? Or maybe you've heard that Christianity, well, it's kind of like a mental health and well-being thing. It's just a spiritual practice. It isn't really on par with other spiritual practices. It's just kind of another religion. Or maybe you've heard that Christianity, it's kind of a social club. And people, you know, if that's your heritage, your family background, and then you're kind of part of that, and then you're just, and that's how you align and how you identify yourself. Or maybe you've heard Christianity, it's a social service. It's really all about doing good for the world. And Christianity has some of them, maybe all those things in it. But that, none of those things are the central message of Christianity. Those are not what Christianity is all about. What Christianity is about is this. These are the marching orders that Jesus gave to his church. How many of you have seen uh, a commercial, and at the end of the commercial you say, I have no idea what that had to do with the product. It's Easter season, so for me, that means it's mini Cadbury egg season. I love those things. Great candy. There was a commercial years ago. It was a great commercial, but it had nothing really to do with Cadbury, but it was a great commercial because the commercial was a gorilla playing drums to Phil Collins in the air tonight. Anybody remember this commercial? Am I the only one? I'm not crazy, right? I didn't hallucinate this? Okay. All right. I've seen that hand. Um, so this commercial, a gorilla playing the drum introduction to Phil Collins in the air tonight, Cadbury. What does one have to do with the other? I don't know, but I remember it. Very often the church can be like that commercial. I have nothing to do with the message we're actually given to tell. Giving false advertisement. Failing to faithfully communicate this. So if you leave with nothing else, leave with this, that this is the flag we wave. This is the banner that flies in our church and in every true church. All other flags and banners are really false. This is the core. Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. If you're a believer this morning, that is your message. You are a witness to that message. First given to the disciples and now passed on to you. It was not just for them. It's not just for pastors and priests. The clergy, it's for the laity. If you are a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel, and this is your message. That could be daunting. Here's the encouragement if God planned it, He's going to make sure it happens, and He's going to provide help. And that's what's promised to the disciples. Wait here. Again, interesting things that Jesus says to his disciples. Shouldn't they be ready by now? They had the best seminary education. You don't get a much better professor than Jesus. I think they had the best real world experience. They'd walked with him, cast out demons themselves, seen miracles. They had all truth right there. Here's the message. 
They had Peter, James, and John. These guys like wrote the New Testament. And yet Jesus says, you need help. Wait. The promise of the Father, his power will come upon you. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. Which is just a wonderful comfort. God promises his Holy Spirit, his own power, his own life, his breath will carry this message out. So disciples, be encouraged. This message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save sinners will go out into, the all, into all the world. If God has planned it, he's going to make sure it happens. And as surely as Jesus rose from the grave, his disciples will carry out the message. Why is the resurrection essential? It's God's plan. It's Christ's mission. It's our message. And God will help us and ensure that it is carried out. And in the end, there will be a concert, if you will. Read Revelation. Heaven looks like the biggest gathering you've ever seen. Easter Sunday is nothing. It's what we will see in eternal life and the resurrection as billions around the throne praising the Lamb who was slain but now lives and rules and reigns. You and I will be there and you'll be there if you accept the message of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Father and God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, our brother in the faith. We thank you and we celebrate this morning that we have hope because he is alive and ruling. He is not dead, the tomb is empty, and we are alive in him. Lord, give us grace. Grace when we stumble and fail to carry out the message as we should, or to live up to it. Forgiveness and mercy. And Lord, give us confidence and hope knowing that our resurrected Lord goes before us, that God has ordained this, that he has planned. But this message will go out into all nations, and people from every tribe and tongue will come and bow before King Jesus. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And come, Lord Jesus. Amen.